0: Welcome back to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tan Grace, joined by Ross and here this week. And um, Ross, welcome back to America. How was your how was your trip overseas?
1: It was great. Um very long. <laughs> um I promised you know,
0: Emma that I would take care of you now that you're back, so I'd yes. need to be very nice to you, yeah. Uh
1: but the uh the we ended it with a, a weekend trip to Glasgow, which was awesome. Just being in a in a bigger city and uh, you know, the cool miniature golf course. We went to the Highland Cows in the park. So, and a lot of good food in Glasgow. We went to a, a uh, South Indian restaurant, which is a little different than, you know, a lot different than North Indian, and that's what most, you know, quote-unquote Indian restaurants are. They focus on North Indian. so the South Indian stuff was great. Um And a lot of recommendations from one of Emma's friends who lives in Edinburgh but used to live in Glasgow, so we had a little bit of a local hookup. Uh, but yeah, it was... uh it, yeah, it it was really awesome. I think Glasgow is a great city, but uh,
0: I, I would mean... love to see the the total caloric intake on this trip of food plus beer <laughs> between <laughs> between the two of you because I know it was, just gigantic. it was it was high. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. I was gonna say, uh, you know, I usually like my diet's weird, right? You know, like I'm I'm eating a lot more nowadays. You know, with how much time I've been in the gym and like eating less clean than I normally do. Like not bad, but like I need. You know, I need more calories. I need more carbs. And like when I go on trips, man, I just like throw it out the window. I'm like, give me all the food. <laughs> like all the food, everything. Don't care. Fully lighted, Let's go. <laughs> so I definitely feel you on that. Um, before, you know, before we get into a little bit more on this week's episode, we're going to be covering Wild Velvety. Uh, it looks like the entire set got spoiled here. What is this? This is Thursday, uh, about three forty five, four forty five Eastern for uh, Ross Merriam here and uh, we've got about the full spoiler of L- Wise literary so we'll talk about that but we got some a few things to cover before that you know so overall the trip to europe good success mm. oh yeah uh
1: you know just you know uh, it's always weird when you're you know in a relationship like this and you kind of see then, each other you know every couple months for a month yeah. or so but um you know we're sort of getting into the routine and yeah
0: uh, I'm actually glad that's working out for you because I'm I'm not a fan of long distance. I've done it once or twice and it's it's just not really great, not good. But
1: yeah. uh you know, you you make it work and uh uh-huh. you uh
0: you learn to appreciate the time that you have. Yeah, you learn to appreciate each other a lot as well. You know, so for sure. Uh what, what's the saying? It's like distance makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> absence. And I'm like, And I'm like oh, absence makes the heart grow. and I'm like, yeah, uh, like, that's true in some ways but yeah we're not gonna go deep into that um other than that like glad to have you back it's nice uh have you have you gotten over the jet lag and stuff yet um not really i think i got another day or two okay. um
1: i have uh fallen asleep on the couch both nights that i have been home so nice
0: yeah is, and that's that's is that a big difference from the norm for you <laughs> sometimes you, probably stumble Dude, in and...
1: you know uh, asleep on the couch is more like a you know, w- once a month, once every couple weeks. <laughs> the kind yeah. of thing, so two in a row, is, is pretty rare.
0: Yeah, a lot of stuff coming up here in Magic in the next couple of months. I feel like we've been in kind of, like, a lull here for a little while, which is weird to say about Magic, because usually there's, like, products like, in your face yeah. and stuff going on. O- August but... always is a kind of a slow month for Magic, yeah. right? because it just ramps back up into December, and then it falls off the map again, right? But we've yeah. got... We've got uh, the Pro Tour, which is Slash World Slash Magicon coming up in Vegas, which I'll be at. I don't know if you're going to be there. I'm assuming you're not going to be there, right? I will not. Uh, I will be there. Uh, I'm working on that one. Um, More soon, actually, is the Mox Championship that's going on this weekend. I'm doing casting for that as well. I get to get back in the booth for the first time in a while for Magic. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing Vintage Cube and Legacy, so that should be a ton of fun. Uh, then there's going to be, like, I'm, I'm assuming I'm doing the regional championship this year. We haven't confirmed all this stuff, but I don't know why we would we change the formula to go... You know, it, if it's happening normally, I would be there. If it ain't broke, right. don't fix it. Yeah, if it's happening normally, like the way that it's always done, um, because I'm interested about what's going to happen next year, because they announced one the first one's next year, which is in Denver, and it doesn't say anything about it. dream hack. So because we're streaming for DreamHack on their Twitch channel and I don't know if that's going to change the coverage of it going forward and what happens and if other people get involved, etc. So I'm a little worried about that. Hopefully I still get to be involved, etc. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. And then there's the Arena Championships coming up as well that I'll be doing. So busy rest of the year. a bunch. Yeah, there's also a chance that I'll have to go to... There's a chance that I'll be going to Barcelona as well because it's really funny. So like Fab and uh, Flesh and Blood and Magic have been going to the same cities like... Fletcher was doing their Worlds in Barcelona while, you know, Magic was just there, and then Fletcher was doing their Nationals this weekend in Las Vegas, though I was not hired for the show for the first time in three years. I don't know why, we're not going to go into that, I'm still a little sore and and, uh, salty about it, but, you know, if they want me for Worlds, we'll see. You know, like, I'll cross that bridge when we get there, Um, if not, then I don't have anything left this year with that that game as well. And then I think after this weekend, once this weekend's over, because I'm having to do, like, a decent bit of studying, because... There's actual cards I've never seen before in Vintage Cube because they're they're uh, they're not real. Like I'm hoping <laughs> that I get a chance to say this on um, on coverage and it, like organically comes up because uh, I was like talking to Brian Soko the other day. We were like looking at the the Cube list with the new cards and, I, and we were just like, "What in the Commander is this?" And I don't know why I just <laughs> lost it when I said that. <laughs> like there's some cards. like I want to use that my one day or one time to see the, seen the kind of reaction. Yeah, what in the Commander is this or that? You know, like. Because some red white card Phoenix thing got played, and I was like, "What is this? It has so much text. It's got to be like you know some weird commander card." It's just busted, you know. I'm like, "Oh, like red white's actually very good in Vintage Cube this time around." And then I've been playing a lot of the Cube on Arena that's going on right now because at, I love Cube. It's one of my favorite ways to play Magic. And there's an Arena open this weekend as Cube. Sadly, I won't be able to play in it because of covering the mocks on Saturday. But hey, it's no use crying over that. I'm getting will I'll move past that. I'll be okay. Uh, other than that, if you uh, if you don't want to hear non-baseball-related talk, I mean, non-magic-related talk, I'm sorry about baseball for like two seconds here. Uh, two big things happened in the last two days that are actually kind of sad. I'll go over the quick one. Uh, Steven Strasburg is going to announce his retirement. This is something we've kind of seen coming for a few years, but it's kind of hard to watch because so talented, came up, was yeah. amazing.
1: I actually remember I watched his first start. There was so much yeah. hype around him coming out of what,
0: like San Diego State. San Diego State, yeah, and, uh, uh I think Tony Quinn was his coach because yeah. I think he was still with us at the time. He had, he had so much hype, and mm-hmm. so we, you know, Rightfully I, I actually went over to my
1: brother's place. I was still living in Connecticut. He had a bunch, he had some people over, and we all gathered around to watch it. And I, my brother, was very skeptical. He's always yeah. skeptical of of sure. college athletes that come from you know non high profile schools. And he's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, he's who's he playing against? He and, don't, you know
0: why he came from a hyper a non high profile school, right? He could he couldn't get. This is, like, one of the only schools that offer up a scholarship because at the time, he was, like, still really small, wasn't throwing super hard. And then he gets there, and I think it's like, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's, like, he, he like, grew a couple that inches, put on some weight, and then added, like, 10 miles an hour to his fastball. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, he's <laughs> throwing sort of in the mid-90s instead of mid-80s, you know? Like, all right, continue, sorry. But uh, we sit down and watch, and
1: I think he, he threw, I think, seven and a third and struck out, like, 13 or 14. Yeah, it was absurd. Maybe two runs. It was unbelievable, the movement that he got uh he looked completely unhittable for his very first start and then yeah the, uh, uh, an unfortunate career marred by a lot of injuries but uh yeah you know, still a, a pretty good career
0: <laughs> yeah i feel really bad for him i feel really bad for washington as well you know they put a lot of money involved in him and like it's always a risk when you put a lot of money into a pitcher because like stuff like this can happen he's got uh yeah, don't i know outlet syndrome or whatever yeah exactly right and like he just like can't he has nerve damage in his arm now too so like you just can't fuel the ball you know, he, like, literally can't feel the ball with his hand. and stuff. like, I, I don't remember the exact thing they were talking about, but it's, it's so sad. And then, speaking of sad, even though this is going to be interesting, Shohei Tani retore his elbow yesterday, the same one that he had Tommy John surgery on five years ago. Uh, we're going to see what happens with this, because it doesn't necessarily 100% mean that he has to have another Tommy John, uh, which, you know, multiple players have come back from a second one, but, you know, you're not the same. Like, there's a lot going on there. There's other procedures you can do. You can get what's called an internal brace. A lot of players have been doing that recently. It's like less intrusive. You get back a little bit faster. There's also few players who've had this kind of tear before, not gotten surgery, rehabbed it, gotten the uh, the shots where they like plate, the rich shots or whatever they're called, yeah. and just been fine. Uh, I'm trying sure to remember which Japanese player was the pitcher for New York for a while. I was like, maybe it was, uh, I, I forget his name now. And, because I don't want to say the wrong one, but he he pitched for like four years with this elbow problem. You know, they were like, oh, you might need surgery. He's like, nah, nah, I'm going to be fine. Like, let me, let me rehab it. And they were fine. So we'll see what happens with that. He's still going to hit while this is going on, which is kind of crazy, but he is. And it, the reason this is, another reason this is such a big deal is he's about to be a free agent, right? And if anyone's ever heard me talking about this guy, I think he's the greatest player to ever play the game. Full stop. Don't talk to me about Babe Ruth. Don't talk to me <laughs> about anybody else you know there, there's just no one that compares like people bring up baby with because he, you know he pitched or whatever and it's like come on man people were just yeah. throwing meatballs down the middle of the freaking plate they hadn't sort of the slider hadn't even been invented yet like he's played against <laughs> other pure like it's it's a pure white right league you know he's just played against a bunch of other guys that are like bagging groceries in the off season and stuff to make ends meet barnstorming yeah nothing against them it's just like the players that were actually good back then were so much better than the out player it's unreal and not taking anything away from that stuff you know from the Babe truthers and all that stuff, but, like, this is the most talented player that has ever played the game. He has made us rethink what is humanly possible in a game of baseball, but, uh, the human body is undefeated when it comes to time and injury and all this stuff. And it's really sad to see, so hopefully, uh, things will regal, gallop- you know, we won't miss him too much in baseball, because the game's just better. It's, like, Look, I, whatever you want to say about their personal lives, like, golf was better when Tiger is there. You know, tennis is better when, like, some of the big superstars were there not having, you know, some stuff go on. It's just better when the superstars can play. Yeah. yeah you know, It I, would be better uh, if they could play in the playoffs, but that's a well, Los Angeles we'll Angels see, problem. We'll see what happens next year because I, <laughs> I don't know if he's still— I, I think they're one of the teams that he ends up on next year because I think he's actually going to play next year. and like, he's about to be free agent. I still think he's going to get the most absurd and crazy contract we've ever seen. He might have some different language in now because like you know they can't rely on him to pitch for probably a year or two we'll see um but he's still the best hitter on the goddamn planet pretty much and then like oh yeah by the way the dude can throw a <laughs> hundred you know <laughs> from the mound and like who did that at some point and then like maybe we see some weird career where like yeah maybe he's not a full-on starter in the future like maybe like you know the first year he's back he like some like you know kind of like the the, the high school athletes like they cut like the the best athletes were hitters but like they can come in to close the game for an inning or two and just you know yeah because really, they can throw really hard he, he, he like, becomes john smoltz while hitting yeah. 40 home runs a year yeah like switching <laughs> back and forth yeah we'll figure it out uh man i, I just hope we don't miss any massive amount of time him. that that's all i care about like i've it's so much you know better for the game than he's when he's alive and you know playing and stuff so Hopefully it's not the deal. Big... All right, back to back. Like, people here. He's
1: got to be the most exciting baseball player since Griffey. Yeah, like,
0: I'm trying to think if, like... Some of the most exciting players in my lifetime, like, obviously Griffey, like, you know, you could say Bonds, like, whatever, you know, because it's just exciting to watch, like, you know, so some the so Sosomalmire years in, like, what was it, 97, 98, like, 98 whatever. 98 was the home run um, chase. Ichiro, like, the first couple years when he was just yeah. unreal, you know, that kind of thing. And, like yeah like he's definitely probably the most exciting player to ever play the game he's the most talented player to ever play the game like he's doing things that are, we just didn't think were humanly possible and i'm the the biggest thing i can't wait to see even though i'm not in a rush to get there is about 20 years from now what the game looks like because of shohei atari because like in the next 10 to 15 years you're gonna have these kids that are watching him grow up that are gonna be like yeah often you know everyone's always told you have to hit or you have to pitch and like now kids are gonna be like no like yeah. i, I want to be shohei you know, you can see some kids in college start to do it. Like, one of the top picks this year in the draft, like, they're like, we're going to give this kid a chance. Like, he's a way better hitter. But, like, the the kid can pitch. Like, he can pitch. So, like, we'll try to figure it out, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And if-
1: he's, he's sort of broken the mold. And now, you know, yeah, you're, you know, you're going to see a lot more people given that opportunity because somebody has proven you can do it. Sort of like, you know, like the, the first, you know, foreign players to play in leagues here in the U.S. sort of, you know start this, you know, uh, if they're the first successful one's like Dirk, you know, one of the first successful European players in the NBA starts this, you know, avalanche of, the, of people being like, oh, there are European players can play. Let's start yeah. trying to find them. And then and you get like the Andrea Bagnani going first overall in 06.
0: Yeah, you yeah know. now you've got some of the best players of, like in the entire league, you know, who... I mean, probably the best player in the league is European, and some of the most talented ones are also European, like Luca. As a behind, yeah, we haven't had know. a US player,
1: US-born player, win the MVP in
0: um, like five
1: years since eighteen nineteen, <laughs> I think. Yeah, so almost f- four years. The
0: yeah. last four okay. have
1: all been Europeans because it's two. Who, who was, it? Really,
0: was it? Was it? Was Harden?
1: Yeah, it was hard, Harden. One. Yeah, I was like trying 18, to think. Yeah, yeah, I was like, who yeah, is so, is so yeah. the last five have not been US-born because it's Embiid, yeah. two
0: Jokic's, and two Giannis's. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see. what happens. All that, like, love seeing, uh, you know, that the games get progress. You know, uh, Ross and I are huge sports fans. But speaking of non sports stuff, let's go back. Let's let's talk some magic. Uh, just so everybody knows, Ross has had a decent look at the spoiler. I've had a less decent look at the spoilers. So we're gonna be talking over a lot of the covers today. You know what they're gonna kind of do, um, what they might do in you know standard pioneer modern legacy etc etc how we feel about these things and i'm gonna be pretty surprised with some of these cards so they're gonna be the first time i've seen some of these with some of y'all because uh i've been busy the last few days the spoiler kind of the spoiler like it didn't creep up on you it just got slapped into a face pretty much there was like a few cards a few cards and they're like right, here you go like, like yeah kind of everything happened that, that's sort of so, the way
1: preview seasons happen now because there's so many of them they can't spend too much time on any one yeah. set they gotta they get give them to them the to next the thing. content
0: creators as much and stuff yeah no i i kind of i kind of like just you know Let's just have the whole thing go with because I think it lesses the, uh, what was it? The fatigue that we were talking about, like, oh, there's a new set. There's another new set. There's another, new set. Uh, like, it just never stops, you know, kind yeah. of thing. So especially with some of them being such duds lately, because like, I feel like the sets have been very good or very bad lately, just depending. And I, I got to say this overall, looking at this one, I'm pretty excited. This one looks pretty great. I love the adventure mechanic. us I'm actually a huge fan of yeah. cards that do multiple things. I do think that they
1: learned from Eldraine and reworked a lot of how they designed the adventure cards. You know, with things like Brazen Bar, Bonecrusher Giant, Lovestruck Beast, they all like curved very well into each other, and you know, the costs were all relatively low. You could get both sides in one turn a lot of the time. Here, you know, it's a lot of cards where the adventure spell costs more than the creature, so you got to really wait on it if you want to get full value. or there's a really high cost on the, the, you know, creature side. I guess I shouldn't say creature, but like the permanent side, some of them are The the not adventure side. Yeah, the not adventure side is like really expensive. So yeah, you'll get to play the spell early, but then it'll be a while before you realize the two for one. Um, So I, I like that aspect. I think that tempers them, you know, obviously it makes them worse, but it makes them a little bit more interesting yes because there's actual tension on a lot of it as opposed to the other ones where you basically just got to have your
0: cake and eat it to all the time yep all right so i've got the spoiler in front of me let's start with the mythics and let's start with the card that i think is going to get uh be a pretty sought after card especially for commander for people and that's the moonshaker cavalry have you seen this card yet mm. oh this
1: is the bit yeah, the other the uh the white crater hoof
0: yeah the the white they have they have like some funny nicknames for which i escaped yet but this is Five in triple white, so it's a drop for a creature spirit knight. It's a 6 6 flyer. But when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain flying and get plus S plus S until entire Terra where X is the number of creatures you control. So now, if you wanted to have like a token deck with a finisher, you don't have to play green for like creator buff for that kind of effect anymore. You can still have like all of your white enchantment based like token doublers and, and things like that. And this is a good way for you to end the game. I don't know if I see this uh if this shows up I don't know if it'll show up it definitely show up in like modder I can see maybe a deck in like standard having like one or two of these if it's a deck that like can go super long and like play kind of a mid-range game it has a lot of stuff and then this is a card where hey I'm just gonna win the game and I cast this card a lot of the times like, we've seen this before. Like, you know, when Craterhoof first came out, it showed up in kind of, like, the junk decks sometimes. Yeah. Especially if there's ways to reanimate this out. Yeah, they, they or were or on burial rights or in Craterhoof yeah, exactly. all the time. Like, there's a way to cheat this into play somehow, a little bit, or whatever, but I'll, uh, this is one of those cards, I'm a little wary of it, but obviously super powerful when you yeah, look at it, it.
1: It's so easy to compare to Craterhoof, but it's actually significantly worse. Yes. You know, it's not, the, not, the not color being in... it's in... Yeah. yeah. Not being in green is a pretty big downside because green is the color that makes a bunch of mana. So eight drops just naturally play better in it. Uh, you know, we've also seen Crater of played around natural order a lot in you know, Legacy yeah. Elves and I'm sure in Commander and, and Cube. Um, you know, this card obviously doesn't play with natural order. The uh, and then the other subtle thing is it doesn't have haste. You know, the math oh, on of behemoth yeah. was a lot easier because it itself was attacking, so it yeah. added you know eight or nine power to what you were attacking with. You really only needed like two, three other creatures, yeah, to create a lethal attack. Munchkin cavalry is going to need significantly more than that, uh. So that that makes it you know much more problematic. That said, the body it leaves behind as a six six flyer is a lot better. So. I view this a little bit less as, like, a straight finisher, you know, like, one-turn kind of finisher the right crater hoof has been, and more of a, like, finish-you-over-two-turns kind of card, um, which, again, makes it significantly worse. So uh, I'm sort of off on this in, you know, competitive constructed formats for, for those reasons. Yeah.
0: All right, one uh, of the next ones I wanted to talk about, I think this is the only Planeswalker in the set, am I correct with that, the Ashiok? Yeah, they, they're they apparently going to stick down. to, like,
1: one Planeswalker per set now. Yeah
0: they're gonna tone it down a lot i think that's a good thing overall um all right this is really small text i'm trying to read this it's a (laughs) playbook, crash Ashok. obviously three black black uh sorts of five loyalty it has a static ability if you would pay life while your library has at least that many cards in it exile that many cards from the top of your library instead already interesting right yeah Uh, plus one look at the top two cards of your library exile one of them and put the other one into your hand okay not bad Minus okay. two, create 1-1 two black nightmare tokens with at the beginning of combat in your turn, if a card was put into exile this turn, put a plus of counter on this creature, and then minus seven. Target player exiles without X cards of their card of their library, where X is the total mana value of cards you own in exile. Okay. I right, so we'll start this with this is in the vein of like the planeswalkers that have been constructed playable in the history of, of map. Yeah, it's the a mold. yes, the, yeah, exactly. Right. Five mana plus minus ultimate. The plus does some kind of card advantage. The minus does something to kind of like either affect the board or protect itself or both. Which, yeah, it makes two one one ones, so you can chub, But these could become uh, these can become very big very quickly because it's plus starts to interact with it, and then if you have any kind of removal in your behind deck, it's not hard to find exile based removal or exile a card from their a etc etc kind of stuff. It's a uh, if a card was put into exile this turn, right? It's not your exile, right? It's any card yeah. put into exile. So it triggers if you like, uh, you know, there's some of the discard spells that make you exile stuff. So we'll have to look through the sets so, up. So all that happens, and then it, it's ultimate. Uh, it, it's it's probably going to be game winning a lot of times. It's like if you're choosing to do that over the other two abilities, it's probably going to be good.
1: Yeah, and you get you obviously can exile a lot of cards from your deck really quickly with it. So uh, I do think that will be something you, you'll have to watch out for. But it's mostly just going to be you know this card advantage threat making a, you make some tokens early when you can, and then you start plussing it. And you're going to get a counter each turn on those tokens. They're quickly going to become pretty impressive threats. So I think this card lines up really well for standard and what standard usually looks like. Uh, you know, I know Demir Midrange is sort of the deck de jour right now in standard, and it is a you know dirtly pile of midrange cards and removal spells. And I think this slots pretty well into that. Um, so I, I expect this one to see play. I don't know how much you're going to go out of your way to take advantage of that static. I wouldn't go too far, but you know, if there are cards that have reasonable payments like that, you know, maybe go for it. Um, and, but I, I wouldn't lean you know, to sort of lean into it as though you're building your deck around it. I'm, I'm more looking to just, you know, play it minus be a good two card. once or twice, pl- start plussing a bunch and r- ramp up those tokens, draw a couple cards, and that, that'll be good enough.
0: It's, it's a self-contained card, so and you don't really need to some... do a lot to help it out. Yeah, and then you maybe have some like incidental synergy with it, right? Like you're yeah. like you one of your removal spells could exile some stuff, etc. You know, like something on the lines. Uh next the card that I wanted to talk about, um, I'm actually I actually like this one, but I usually don't like these kinds of cards, and that's Kellen the Faye Blooded. It's the red creature mythic. So it's two a red for a two two human fairy. Um it's a legendary creature, obviously. It has uh adventure, so the adventure side is, who is that is that birthright boon? It's really yes. small. One in the white for a sorcery adventure. It says, search your library for an aura equipment card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and shuffle. So it's like Stoneforge Mystic on the adventure side, but it also gets uh, auras or enchantments. And then on the creature side, it's also this this curves well. It goes 2 into 3, right? Which is big. The creature side is 2 of red for a double striker, 2-2. Uh, two, two. Other creatures you control get plus 1 up 0 for each aura and equipment attached to Kellen the Faitland. Here's the reason I like this, and I normally don't, don't like cards like this and... Uh, these kind of effects. We've seen this in every set. It feels like for the last like four or five years, they've been trying to make like the red white equipment aura decks. They've been giving you something, right? Uh, it's you know I've seen those decks in commander. They've almost never been good enough in standard or you know uh, pioneer. It, this is not good enough for you. Standard and pioneer kind of where I'm yeah. this one is a self-contained card that is very very good in that deck. Gives you a lot of avenue because you can start playing more one-ofs in your deck that like you need to go search for for certain situations so you can kind of have like that silver bullet while also being a source of card advantage which is generally a problem in those decks because generally you're playing like one or two creatures you just put a bunch of stuff on it if your opponent can answer it you're kind of owned. So yeah, i like so
1: being a creature and an equipment lets you you know uh limit the natural inconsistency of your deck where you draw too much of of one half and not enough of the other uh, I think your point about it, it curving, this is one of the few adventure cards that is designed under that sort of old template. Uh, that plays really well. And, um, you know, the the other thing I like is this is a legendary creature that the decks that it's in are going to want to play four of, but it doesn't have the same um, diminishing returns that other legendary creatures do because instead of rotting dead in your hand, you just get to cast Birthright Boon and at least it turns it into an equipment and you're not down a card. Um, so it's a card point. that you can easily play four of without really worrying about that aspect of it. Um, and you know, it's a reasonable creature by itself, like two, two double strike, It's a three, three mana creature that already attacks for four. You're getting some sort of aura or equipment to go on it. You know, just giving it plus one or plus two power. You're talking about six or eight that you're attacking this for. This is scary. Yeah. You don't have to do a lot. I think that last ability, like pumping your other creatures, is not going to come up as much, because if you're spending a lot of resources getting auras and equipment onto Kellen, you probably don't have the resources to make a wide battlefield of other creatures to pump. So that's the aspect of it that I would, you know, ignore most often. But, you you know, if you get an extra point or two of power on some creatures, you know, playing things like Cartouche Solidarity, you know, suddenly you're making a 2-1 off of that in addition to having an aura, you know, cool. So uh, I wouldn't go out of my way to try to make that aspect of the card good i'd focus more on just being a reasonable you know like you said stoneforge mystic and uh and a threat in
0: and of itself but yeah i I like this one too i'm gonna quickly talk about uh one or two of the other mythics in the set before we get into there is a uh there's a cycle of mythics here the virtues which are going to be really cool um have you seen beseech the mirror or realm scorcher hellkite? the two i have seen both of them uh, do you want to talk about either one of them? Like, do you think either one of them is like? They, they both seem like they have a chance for sure. They can do powerful things. Yeah, let's start with uh, with Realm Scorcher, since that's one's sure. right on my screen here. I'll, I'll read this one for everybody at home. It's four red, red for a four six dragon. Already kind of kind of into this. Love, love big dragons that do things. This one is bargain for everybody at home. Bargain is you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast this spell. And there's a lot of ways to make cheap uh, tokens in this set. And lots of ways to make cheap artifacts and enchantments in the last couple sets. So, bargain should be pretty... If if you're going to be bargaining, you you have a lot of fire for it. Yeah. Uh, It's got Flying and Haste. So, Haste is a big deal. You know, it's a 4-6 Haste. Uh, When it enters the battlefield, if it was bargained at 4 mana in any combination of colors, that's pretty big. And then 1 out of red, it deals 1 damage to any target. The reason I think this one might have a shot... 6 mana is a lot for a 4-6 Flying Haste creature, right? but if you get the discount like you get the four mana back you can do a lot of things with that four mana not to mention it's got a built-in mana sink on it at least you can like shock something or whatever so this thing can you know clear the way for some of your other creatures attack a planeswalker down that's even at five or six along with its own ability so lots of stuff to really like here as like a top-end finisher and like a mid-range deck of just being a really good creature and then uh if you get to untap with this like you just you have a ton of mana sink as well for the rest of the game. I kind of like it.
1: Yeah, I I like this card a lot. Uh, um, Going to be hard to play it in high numbers as a six drop, you know, unless you're kind of ramping into it, which I don't think you want to do. I uh, think this card wants to be, as you said, the, the finisher in a more interactive deck. Um, and you know, as you're interacting, you're generating random, you know, roll roll tokens or roll auras, and I yeah, think it's like six roll uh, token, something. yeah, yeah, sure, o- yeah. or you know, food or treasures or or what have you. Should be pretty easy to bargain it. Uh, and then at the very least, you're getting a uh, you're getting a, a forked bolt, you know, out out of your four mana. You can just make you know four red and activate the ability twice if you don't have anything else to do. But you can really turn battlefields around really quickly by you know casting this, making weird colors of mana, and then you know playing a big removal
0: spell or playing another big threat, uh, another you know, realm scorcher, Hellkite if you've got two more mana, It's uh, not, legendary. yeah. yeah. You uh, all kinds so of stuff.
1: I, I think this is a, a, a very very powerful card. You know, and and should be, you know, see significant play. Um, This is one of my, would be, probably make my top eight list
0: right now. Uh, Let's talk about the other one real quick. I'm going to let you go first on this one because I've been kind of leading off on all these. (laughs) Beseech beseech the mirror, one black, 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 sorcery bargain, like we talked about. Uh, Search your library for a card, exile it face down, and they shuffle. If this spell was bargained, you may cast the exiled spell without paying its mana cost if that spell's mana value is four or less. Put the Excel card into your hand if it wasn't cast this way. This reads very powerfully.
1: Yeah, it's going to need a very specific shell because you're like playing this sort of combo deck that also needs to generate some permanence. You know, most combo decks that are using tutors are usually spell based combo decks, so they're not going to be able to bargain as effectively. So there's some tension there in how to build the deck to you know take advantage of Beseech the Mirror specifically. But I've seen some you know. Some shells involving like Mishra's baubles and stuff, and you just ritual into this and then, you know, find s- some spell and cast it like Past in Flames or something like that. It, it leads <laughs> to a lot of just very fast yeah. kills, um, yeah. you know, in older formats where you have a lot of tools t- to utilize with it. I think it's being a little bit overrated for formats like Standard or, you know, Pioneer where... Uh, you know, these kind of tutors usually are a little bit too slow and you don't have the really powerful tools to take advantage of them and build into these combo shells. Um, so this to me is more of a, you know, eternal format kind of card where
0: you have a lot of things to utilize with it than, you know, standard or pioneer. Yeah, couldn't say that better myself. Let's talk about these virtues and I'm going to lead off with the black one because this is the one I think that was like some of the most uh, hyped that I've seen of the ones that yeah, I've got talked about on Twitter a lot. Uh, this is Virtue of Persistence. I'm going to start with the, uh, the... They all have adventures, so I'm starting start with the adventure side. Um, it's a one-and-a-black sorcery. It says, target creature gets minus three, minus three, until end of turn, you gain two life. So, you're looking at it changing from an instant to a sorcery here. You get to kind of put tap on the two life. So, uh, definitely a, a solid enough removal spell versus, you know, most of the aggro decks that you're going kind to of face, and it can kill a lot of the early stuff. Uh, kind of funnily, it's it's better on the draw. <laughs> you know, a lot of the games, like it's like one turn two, like if they don't play one drop, like, you can kill Lay we're off of this. I'm all in, right? I'm, I'm yeah, signing yeah. me up for everybody. Uh, but here's the other side it's an enchantment for five black, black. At the beginning of your upkeep, put to target creature cards in your graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Extremely powerful. It's dead or yeah. no. You know, so uh this is a card. I mean, all of these seem great, obviously, for commander, but this seems pretty powerful. I do think that. I'm not, as I want it as everybody else is saying. How do you feel?
1: I do think, you, you know, you could play this reasonably as, as your sort of finisher again in, in that mid shell to win those attrition games. It's, you know, good against aggressive decks, whereas most of these cards usually are not. So it's a, a lot easier kind of card to main deck, whereas like that Debtor's Nell effect is usually more of a sideboard kind of card to break open longer matchups. So the fact that you get to play it in the main deck is nice. I do think the fact that you have to wait you know, you're paying seven mana for the enchantment side of it, and then you have to wait a turn to get any value out of it is a problem. So I'm with you. I think the card's being a little bit overrated for that reason, because I do think the seven mana side, you know, is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be easy to answer before you get any value out of it. And I have a hard time investing seven mana into a card when that is the case, you know, when when I'm not guaranteed to get value out of it.
0: Now, for constructed, the ones that I actually really like are the red and the white ones. Ross, like those the, are the, the ones white that... one is my favorite. Yeah, so let's go with the white one then. That's your favorite. I'll read it for everybody. You could talk about this. This is virtue of loyalty. Uh, the adventure side, God, I love this. one in a white instant, by the way, instant, create a 2-2 white knight creature token with vigilance. I- I'm already kind of in on this card. That's that's already kind of a ball great a lot yeah. of ways. Um, the enchantment is three white whites. So it's the beginning of your end step, so if you're going to get to the turn, you play it. You're not going to get to attack with it. Um, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Untap those creatures. That's pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, I imagine this will be the best card in the set in limited.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. this is this is. I don't I don't know many. I mean, like the black one's pretty good. In limited. This this is this is absurd. Being yeah, only five mana,
1: but being you know uh, the. Filling out your curve at both the, the bottom end and the top end for an aggressive deck. I think this, the the adventure half being an instant is subtly really good. That makes it better than, you know, better than your average bear. Uh, I love, dude, I love it. I love it. That was so good. <laughs> and the, you know, that, I'm so proud of you, Ross. Yeah, that encha- that the enchantment side is very, very powerful. Notably, also quite good with creature lands, of which okay. there is a cycle in this set. So yep. you get to, you know, if your creature land attacked, you, you can get a counter on it, which will stay on it even after it stops being a creature yeah, nice. for future activations. And then you'll untap and have yeah. access to more mana. Yeah. So the fact that it plays well with creature lands, which yeah. are a hallmark of good aggressive decks, especially in standard, also makes me really excited for it.
0: So like, this is another card too, that like, let's say the white creature deck starts getting played a little bit more in Pioneer. Yeah. This is a card that I could see like, I will begrudge you if you play it maimed i can see this being like a sideboard uh kind of card in like the actual creature matchups you know where the board presence matters because you can you imagine playing a mirror where you have this card in a white deck and they do not like yeah, you, I, do, I think you, you don't you just always. win yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh i actually like the red one a lot too so let's go ahead and read the red one this is virtue of courage the uh adventure side is one red instant uh this deals two damage to any target so not a bad rate right if, it's it's if it's stomp f- it's stomp, right? Which is cool. The other side is three red red for enchantment. It says whatever source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent. You may exile the many cards on top of your library. You may play those cards on uh, this turn. So I don't think this is super great, but I do think this is a card that we might actually see somewhere because like it's non-combat damage. So you're gonna have to like bolt them, shock them. Make a creature deal yeah. damage to them other than combat in some way, shape, or form. That's a little harder to do. Uh, but, uh, but all of
1: your burn spells drawing a bunch of extra cards is pretty yes. nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is it's five mana, it's an enchantment. You might need to do it the turn it happens. So, like, that's the problem for me. I do think it's going to be a little bit slow, but this one, it interests me because the fact that the adventure side is, like, actually pretty good. Like, I depending on what the creatures look like in standard, I don't think this is probably good enough for Pioneer, but we'll see. But like, if there's a kind of burnish mid range deck or whatever, uh, we could be also the card that we talked about earlier, Realm Scorcher or Hellkite is, you know, if red, if there's like a biggest red deck in standard, right. that thing you just pay two mana, hit your opponent for one, reveal the top card of your deck, and you could play this turn, and then do it again, and then do it again, and like yeah. that's pretty cool as the game goes on to have that kind of card game. So I, I like this card be-
1: because of the enchantment half. They, they powered up the enchantment side of this in some subtle ways. One, saying you can play the cards this turn so you can play lands off of it. Yeah, and play, two, not cast, play. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't limit you to just one of them. Like, say, right. you know, Unlucky Witness. Rings results. You don't pick yeah. one and get to yeah. play that one. So when you lightning strike your opponent and you reveal land and two spells, you just get all three of them. There you go. You can cast yeah. the spells. That's an essential recall. Yeah. Like. And, you know, one of the issues with red decks often is that they have all this burn in their deck and it's usually pretty weak in the post-sideboard games if your opponent's not a small creature deck, because your opponent is going to be, you know, uh, r- you know, really heavily prepared to protect their life total, and, you know, you-, you have a harder time getting them into burn range, you need something a little bit more powerful. Well, the card advantage on Virtue of Courage is that powerful thing that could push you across the finish line. So I-, I think this card could slot into aggro decks as a sideboard card for additional card advantage. I think you can sideboard, you know, slot into mid-range decks. I think you could potentially just build a straight burn deck in standard
0: yeah like the thing the thing about this with me too is it allows you in certain matchups because like if you've ever been a burn deck or a deck kind of like that before there's always the weird spot where in some matchups like where you're on the draw if your opponent is a creature deck and they go like creature 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 against you and you have to start using your burn spells to not die this is a card that later in the game can catch you back up right because you're dude they're at like 17 you've had to use three of your burn spells to not die you've resolved this and then you're like okay i have one burn spell left. hit you in the face for three a like few said Reveal the top three cards in the library. I can play all of them. That is yes. extremely powerful. Like, yeah. n- now you're waiting by a large margin. You you have turned so many of your
1: previously poor top decks into excellent top decks. Yeah.
0: Like, shock now is just absurd. You're like, all right, two to you, draw two. It's yeah, a shock plus light of the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to talk about either one of the other ones real quick, the green or the blue one? I think they're both kind of commander-ish.
1: Yeah, they're they're pretty commander-ish. So, yeah. why don't you read them off and then we'll...
0: Sure. We'll go quickly uh, yeah, through them. Yeah, real quick. The green one. Um, it's a one green source return to return target creature or land from grave out to your hand. And it's five green green. If you tap a basic, it's in jam, obviously. If you tap a basic land for mana, it produces three times as much of that instead. This screams commander to me. I could maybe see a weird spot where this like shows up standard, but I, yeah, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. Once you're getting to seven mana, you need to be playing things that are the thing that you're. You know, yeah. taking over the game with this yeah. is sort of setting you up for the next turn and that's gonna be too slow.
0: Uh the blue one is uh the it's a one of the blue instead. Copy target activated or triggered ability you control, you may choose a targets for the copy, and that's it's just pantomicon, right? The other side side's like four and a blue. If a permanent entering the battlefield causes a trigger or a permanent you control to trigger, the ability triggers an additional time. I believe like we get at least one of these cards every set. So here you go. This is the set's yeah.
1: Very popular in uh, Commander, rarely played yeah. and Constructed, and yeah. the adventure half of it is not particularly good, not enough to carry into Constructed Playability.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I think that about does it for the mythics in the set, right? Like there's like the tortoise, did you want to talk about the tortoise or anything like we, that? We got we got,
1: we got we got some more interesting ones. Oh, there's uh, the
0: multicolored ones and stuff, right? I mean, I need to scroll Yeah, I'm, yeah.
1: I'm, yeah. So, um, I mean, there's a, and then there's the artifact, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, All
0: right, I need to catch up to this. Go ahead
1: so, We well, I'm just going to run down, you know, starting at the top of my list, and we'll try to catch the ones we haven't talked about yet. But uh, first is Agatha of the Vile Cauldron. This is a green and a red, 1-1. One, one. Legendary Human Warlock. It says, activated abilities of creatures you control cost X less to activate, where X is Agatha's power. This effect can't reduce the mana of the cost to less than one. Yeah, can be then, free. Right? Yeah. And then four, red and a green. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample and haste until end of turn. So the bigger bigger Agatha is, the less it's going to cost to activate it and pump your other creatures. Um, this does feel a little bit more like a commander card to me. It is another Gruul legend. If you've been trying to make Bard class work in Pioneer, so uh, maybe just having a, another one of those to, uh, and it's one that you know when you, once you go wide and generate some mana, you, you can start pumping your team and doing some cool stuff with it. So might be a help to that deck. Probably not enough to get it into, you know, Pioneer playability, but if that's your thing, that's probably the only home I see for it. Um, other than that, like, it's just too many moving parts to try to get it to work. Uh, you know, needing things to pump it, and then you need activated abilities in your other creatures to take advantage of it, and it's a, a pretty fragile 1-1, but a, a cool card
0: and a cool build around. And uh, one that I kind of like is, I have no idea how this, is Balluna? uh Balluna, Grand Squall? That's the, uh, the teamer legendary, uh, thing. So it's, uh, let's start with the adventure side. It's, it says seek thrills. It's an instant. It's two green, blue, red. So five mill seven cards, then put all cards that the, that had a, an adventure from among the milled cards into your hand. So in the right deck, this is going to be, you know, draw three pretty often, right? You know, draw somewhere between like two and four, probably pretty often. If your deck's just a ton of it, I'm sure you could do the math on it. I don't want you to, you don't have to, um, <laughs> You need seven, 17
1: to eighteen adventure creatures. Gets your EV to about two.
0: Yeah, and then there's yeah. So we'll see. Um, and then the other, the other end is green, blue, red for four four trampler. This is permanent uh, spells you cast that have an adventure cost. Cost one less to cast. So uh you're definitely curving into some of those enchantments a little bit easier, or some of your creatures a little bit easier as well. So this is one of the cards you talked about earlier though with the adventure side being more expensive than the creature side you have to kind of weigh the option right like this is an interesting top deck later in game is what i kind of like about this right you know if you toxic this later in the game you're like okay like cast the seek throws part and then maybe get you know get going after that and do some stuff so like if you have a deck that's like mid-rangey and grindy or you know you need to play longer games which that looks like is what's going on in standard range. just a whole bunch of grinding do stuff decks yeah. This card can make a game go super long. It
1: can. I read this card and I just see Savage Knuckleblade, you know, t- teamer 4 4, a lot of words on it, but it didn't really amount to much when, you know, we started playing it. That was one of the more hyped cards coming into cons and it, it, you know, fell very flat, especially relative to the other cards in that cycle. It was like Mantis Rider, Siege Rhino, um, um, Butcher of the Horde, and Sedisi all saw significant constructive play and, and Knuckleblade didn't. You know, I, I think it's awkward that you're you're probably not playing it for the Seek Thrills half that often. When you do, it's a pretty expensive, like, draw two, five you know, five mana to do that. And it, it, realistically, you're probably not playing significantly more than 16, 17, 18 adventure cards in your deck. Um, you know, but if there is a deck, you know, if you are playing a you know a team or adventures deck with a bunch of adventure cards and payoffs, this is probably a part of it. I just see this as a, a you know much worse payoff than Edgewall Innkeeper or Lucky Clover, you know, the the ones we had in original Elder
0: Were you the, uh, the multicolored cards you
1: wanted to talk about while we're down here? Um I like the um actually like both the uh Orzov and Azorius one. So Orzov is Ariet of the Charmed Apple. Yeah, I didn't need just the mythics too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just want to get through the mythics and then we'll see how sure. much time we have for the rest. We can we can head yeah. up other stuff next week as well. Yeah, uh, okay. But it's one white black for 2-4. Legendary human warlock. It says, Each creature that's enchanted by an aura you control can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. So, you know, anytime you put a roll to- you know, token on a creature, it's also a pacifism. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is the number of auras you control. So it gives a sort of it's it's a very different way of thinking about auras. Where right? this is more of a defensive aura shell. I I don't think we're going to see enough support for it. This is a card that I'll, I'll probably wait until there is um you know the you know, a bigger standard and maybe there'll be enough. I I guess with the, the slower rotation schedule, we'll see bigger standards. So maybe there'll be enough support for it, but it is a very interesting card because rather than auras being this really aggressive strategy or you're stacking everything on your own creatures, now you're trying to spread them on all your opponent's creatures and, you know, take advantage of that second ability. So I thought that was a cool design space. Uh, I hope it sees play, but I'm not, you know, overly confident.
0: Busted and limited, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the Azorius one is Hilda of the Icy Crown. It's two white-blue for three-four human warlock. Whenever you tap an untapped creature and opponent controls, you may pay one. When you do, choose one. Either create a four-four white and blue elemental creature token, put a plus-or-plus-one counter on each creature you control, or scry two, then draw a card.
0: So I just want to say this before we get into it. Uh, hard to do. Yeah. Right, you have, to, you have to go through hoops because it doesn't, it's not built in. But if you do all these abilities, really power. that
1: was my point. Exactly, it took the words right out of my mouth. So, I think it's worth it trying to explore some ways to do it. I hope I have the opportunity to play this next to opposition in cube
0: because, oh, yeah, that sounds my, fun. <laughs> I would, I do want to talk about one small thing in the art. I wonder if they made them do this. I kind of like it, it's, it's not like apples to apples but if you look at the staff she has it almost kind of looks like icy manipulator and nice. i that makes me happy because like obviously that card's busted with this card so yeah. and she has the icy crown icy manipulator like works of tapping
1: i'm sure that is on completely on purpose
0: yeah absolutely so uh was there yeah any of the other I, I don't know, you know what things about?
1: we have in standard to like help this card out but this is the kind of card that i would do a scryfall search like what are the options is there anything remotely reasonable you know, I, I know there's, uh you know, there's, like, that two... There's a two-mana blue aura that, like, you know, locks down the creature. And when the the aura dies, you can, you know, scry one, draw a card. card. Uh, so...
0: Is there, like, a land that you could, like... You know what I mean? Is there, like, a, a maze type land where you're, like, you know, pay for target yeah. target creature? I'm, like, I'm in for that. You know? Like, got, like some, some, recurrable, some recurrable effect on it that can't be interacted with. God.
1: All you need to do is trigger it once. And, and yeah, it's towards, a good card. If you trigger it yeah. twice, it's awesome. So... Yeah. I, I don't think you have going to gonna have to put in as much work as it might seem to make it that good, and uh, it, the the payoff is is really there. So
0: this is a card that before drafting this set, I need to go look at all the commons in blue and white. Yeah. If there's like any common that triggers, them, I'm like, yeah, I can first pick. That's yeah, there's I'm a like. blue, there,
1: there's a one in a blue common aura that locks like when it ETBs you tap the creature and then anyway. and the creature can't untap, and when the aura dies, you scry one and draw a card. So like oh, if they yeah. bargain it, you, you get your card back.
0: Yeah, done. Yeah, sign me, play, sign playing that with hilda is great yeah sign me up yeah so in for that um i know there's a bunch of like you know crabby creatures that do it like when they attack you get like tap it whatever that's that's too much uh what else caught your eye and use a uh we doors? can finish
1: up the uh the uh gold creatures here so i've got rowan sign of war one black red for a 4-2 a legendary human wizard has menace uh, tap spells you cast this turn that are black and or red cost x less to cast, or x is the amount of life you lost this turn. activate only as a sorcery. Um, not a big fan of this one. It's this aggressively costed creature that is also a utility creature. so it doesn't have the toughness to survive if you're trying to use it as you know a uh, as a utility creature, use that ability. and if you're using that ability, you're not taking advantage of the body. So I think this card just sort of gets caught in the middle where you, it's basically impossible to take full advantage of it. So you're reading all these cool things, but you never get to realize them all at the same time. It's always sort of half, you get one half or the other, and that's usually not a, not a recipe for a good card.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not seeing it. Like obviously there's like things you can do with this. I'm sure if people are going to like, like this card and do things with it. not for me, it doesn't do enough when you play it. It's extremely fragile. Yeah. Not, not yeah. for me. And then uh, Talion the Kindly Lord, two
1: blue-black for a three-four fairy noble. As this one's wild. <laughs> as it enters the battlefield, choose a number between one and ten, and whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value, power, or toughness equal to the chosen number, that player loses
0: two life, and you draw a card. So... if you're going to play this in Constructed, you need to do a lot of research of the format and know your opponent's decks because you're like, what's the the best here? It's like, is it four? They've been all of four fours and three fours. They they have four drops, you know, like. I think for the
1: most part, you're figuring out like, where are the aggro decks curves, you know, heaviest, usually one or two. And that's going to hit on power toughness amounts as well. Or you're thinking, what are my opponent's answers to Talion? And I'm going to name that number so that if they remove it, I still get a card out of it. Uh, yeah, love so that. It's, wild I, think it's and commander I think it's pretty right good. Away. I think it's pretty easy yeah. to make sure you get a card or two out of it. And sometimes you won't literally trigger it to draw the card, but your opponent just won't cast the spell in their hand because it's not a high-impact spell and they don't want to give you a card for it. So you're effectively getting a card out of it that way too, but you're just not seeing it. So this is one hey. of those cards whose impact will likely be hidden from the people that play it, but uh, it w- should still have a pretty significant impact on games. As long as you, you know, like you said, n- know the decks that you're playing against and, you know, have an idea of what numbers you're looking to name going into uh, each match.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any of the other multicolored stuff? Uh, there eye?
1: was one more, and that's another Azorius one at Mythic. That's Will Scion of Peace. This is one white blue for 2-4 Vigilance, Human Wizard tap spells you cast this turn that are white and or blue cost x less to cast where x is the amount of life you gained this turn activate only as a sorcery so remember rowan and will was a split planeswalker card yeah um back in was that an eldraine probably um and so they, they've split them up here they is have the you know, is
0: it the blue red planeswalker from yeah yeah i think they, so right they, they have sort
1: okay. of mirrored abilities here uh will however i think significantly better than rowan because of vigilance so you can get this card into combat, it also plays pretty good defense, so you're extending games, using its ability more often, uh, you know, as you get, as you set it up, and you know, you can attack with it, attack a plateswalker, and then post-combat, you know, especially if you have lifelink creatures, so you want to gain life in combat before using it, you can also, you know, if they block it a bunch, you can, uh, I guess it's tap only a sorcery, so you can't use it in, co- in combat, but, um. I think it's going to be a lot easier to get full value out of this card, both as a creature and what creatures do in a normal game of magic and using its abilities. So a significant improvement on Rowan and one that I, I could see seeing play, but it, it's going to take a lot of incidental life gain cards around it to make it good. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Anything else to catch your eye? Uh, I don't know what you wanted to move on to next.
1: Um, so I think we've only got a couple more mythics to, to go through, to get all yeah, of we're them good to go with like literally
0: all of them, yeah. but yeah. Well,
1: we've, we only have three, so three left. So we might as well hit them. Um, first, and actually I, I kind of like all three of them. So, uh, the first is Agatha's soul cauldron, two mana, legendary artifact. Uh, there's a lot of wor- weird words on this one. So pay attention. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Creatures you control with plus one, plus one counters on them have all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And to tap Exile Target Card from a Graveyard, when a creature card is exiled this way, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. This will do nothing fair, by the way. Yeah. There's already people people who figured out weird combos with it. I this think... is like
0: the what's the ooze card. This is very much like that necrotic ooze card.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So very much a builder on card. If you're a you know a combo player, this is a card that, you know that you'll go down a lot of rabbit holes with. But I think it also looks pretty good in hardened scales. You know, giving cool. your creatures the ability of arc ravager it is pretty good. <laughs> you know, it won't get the modular ability, but it'll get sacrifice and artifact, put a balls of plus one counter on it. Uh, you can also use this to disrupt opposing graveyards. So, you know, if you happen to need it that way, it still does all that. Uh, you, you know, you can get their activated abilities if they're relevant. Uh, and just being able to, like, you know, utilize a resource to pump up some of your other creatures uh, can be relevant. But I, I would look for this card in hardened skills for
0: sure. Uh, um, while we're in the artifacts, uh, there's a card that kind of interested me just a little bit in um, <clears throat> the Iron Crag, or they like to call it the Andro Crag. It actually kind of looks like it, too. I um, know kind of know to kind of cut you off here. and talking about the other mythics, man. Let's,
1: let's do that. I bet. Okay. Um, so we got Asinine Antics. This is a two blue-blue sorcery. You can cast it as though it had a flash if you pay two more to cast it. It's kind of like route. And for each creature your opponents control, create a cursed roll token attached to that creature. The cursed roll is uh, it, it become, just becomes a 1-1. Uh it doesn't it's lose its ability, abilities, yeah. Almost, uh, yeah. but you are going to shrink your opponent's creatures. You can do it in combat sometimes and potentially just make a bunch of good blocks and end up killing them all. This is, you know, more than just sort of a a pseudo-Wrath of God, because you're only affecting your opponent's creatures. So this is a card that you could play in a deck with a heavy amount of creatures and not be worried about, you know, interacting poorly with your own stuff. Uh, And it's a card that can give you a significant advantage on the battlefield. You know, shrinking all your opponent's creatures, suddenly they can't really attack, even if you only have one or two things uh, there. So I, I like this card. I think, you know... You initially read it as a wrath, but I think it's a very different kind of card than that. It's more like tragic arrogancy, you know, that kind of effect where you're kind of making a big battlefield swing. Uh, and that should play well in a format like Standard that has a lot of mid-range attrition mirrors. Interesting. Yeah, I,
0: I got like anything about it, though. What yeah. was the last
1: one you wanted? The last mythic and my favorite mythic in the set. Not necessarily Ooh. due to power level, though it is a cool card, but it's Blossoming Tortoise. So
0: um, this is a really cool one for it. Almost two and a green for a creature card It's a 3-3. Uh, when it airs the battlefield or attacks, you mill three cards and return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So, pseudo-ramp. And then, it happening when it comes into play is pretty big. Uh, activate abilities of lands you control cost one less to activate, which is really cool. There's a lot of creature lands and some other stuff to do. And it says land creatures you control get plus one, plus one. It's also a 3 three itself. I don't know if I said that to start with. Yeah, so, you know, generating that additional value...
1: From uh, the lands is, you know, an easy thing to utilize, especially if you're playing this with a lot of creature lands, so you need a lot of mana to sink into those. Uh, the fact that you get it when it enters the battlefields, mm-hmm. so you're getting a little mm-hmm. bit of value mm-hmm. even if they kill it immediately, I really like. Uh, and I really like that you don't have to hit a land in those three cards. If you have another land in your graveyard for some reason, if it was a fetch land, or if you, you know, milled two lands on the first trigger and then the second trigger milled zero, you'll just get, you can get the second land back, any land that's in your graveyard uh, will work. The fact that it's not legendary, so you can have multiples out, and suddenly your you know creature lands become really cheap to activate, or you know whatever other you know cool lands that you have, like Mirex. You know, imagine having two of these out and now. Your Mirex only costs one tap to to make a token. There's a lot of good utility lands to use it with. My one worry on the card is that three toughness. You know, Lightning Strike is in the format. We've got the you know, the Black Virtue
0: so so, it's a lot of
1: a lot of cheap removal answering a four mana creature you do get a little bit of value with it but that might be too much of a tempo loss the extra mana can maybe help you catch up from that so I'm a little worried there but it's not enough to make me not excited about the card i think this is a card that that uh you know looks to be pretty good it's always nice to have a card that's like you're ramping but you're making another speed bump for aggressive back so you're able to attack a planeswalker you know against uh, an opposing mid-range deck you know kind of like um you know, in that vein, it sort of reminds me of uh, Solemn Simulacrum. <laughs> you know, a, a very good card, generated value, gave you that speed bump against aggro, uh, but still like, let you ramp into some big spells. And this one, you know, sometimes you're ramping two or three times with it if you get to attack. So I like Blossom Tortoise. Green looks like the worst color in standard right now. Hopefully that changes after I'll drain and, and the turtle is a part of it because turtles so, are great. <laughs> I
0: love turtles. All right. Uh, what did you, where do you want to go to next? Just so I a little bit that we can do on this show. Yeah, uh, you wanted to talk about the Iron Crag. That's a good one. Well, you, you, we were just down in the artifact section. And I, I just looked at, yeah. him, like, you know, we have to start with the color. We start with the colorless stuff, and that one's an interesting one to me. So it's a two mana legendary artifact. That's kind of important it, as a legendary artifact, but it taps for colorless. So like, we haven't had signets, you know, using quotations in standard for a very long time. Like this kind of effect, and it actually has an ability beyond that too. It says when a legendary creature uh, enters the battlefield under your control, you may have, you know, this artifact become a Legendary Equipment Artifact named something, right? But if you do, it gains Equip 3 and Equip Creature gets Plus and loses all other abilities. So, that's, like, interesting to me. I mean, like I don't know how much you're going to use that part of it. I wonder if there's going to be a deck that's going to play these simply as a 2-mana ramp kind of thing that has some intrinsic value at some point in time in the game. Because... We've seen how powerful just two mana rocks, like a two mana rock that goes from two to four can be in formats like standard. And cards really start to ramp up the power level at four, five, and six mana. It just gets you there, you know, a turn ahead if you're able to play two turns ahead of your opponent sometimes. So they can be game breaking by just having this on turn two.
1: Yeah, and then having your, you know, ramp, spe- ramp spell end up being relevant later is always nice. So it's not a dead draw later in the game. Uh, notably, I know a lot of people online have misread this card, and they think that the creature loses all the abilities when you equip it. N- note that the, you know, the, uh, quotation marks end after plus three, plus three. So, it's equipped creature gets plus three, plus three is the text on the Iron Crag, but Iron Crag loses its other abilities. So, once it's an equipment, you can't tap it for a colorless.
0: So, that's it, but the creature that you equip it to will retain all of its abilities. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, thing to point out. Also, Soul Guide Lantern is getting reprinted in this set. Uh, you know, if, if it becomes relevant, it's a really good sideboard card. A lot of, like, Ginger Brute is also being reprinted in the set along with Prophetic Prism. So we're getting a lot of, like, good, cheap artifacts that can do fun things. But these are also cards that are, like, not only good sideboard cards, but they're pretty good cards to bargain with, too. And the fact that, like, they do something when they come into play or, like, draw you a card and replace themselves and then kind of, you know, do some stuff from there. So, those are cards that are definitely going to uh, show up as well. Yeah. Also, I really like Sir Ginger, the Meal Ender. Have you seen this card yet? The the, the, the
1: souped up uh, gingerbread man? So, gingerbread So, this
0: is pretty cool for me. All right. So, this is two, it's two colorless mana for a legendary orific creature, Food Knight. <laughs> it's a three one, right? Uh, it has trample, hexproof, and haste as long as an opponent controls a planeswalker. So, that's a really cool card for me. Is, uh, they're, like, can you imagine this during the time when, like, everybody had uh, Teferi and, like, Narset and like that? And like, all right, attack this thing. Yeah,
1: it's so very good at attacking points walkers.
0: It, it has more abilities, by the way. Uh, it has food, the food ability, obviously. Uh, but you gain life equal to its power instead of just three, which is nice. But then it also says, when another artifact you control is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, you put a plus-plus one counter on this and scribe one. I like this card. This card's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think, if, you know,
1: if you can just get one counter on it, it's doing a lot of work. And I think decks should be able to get a lot of counters on it. Just from, you know, anytime you sacrifice a treasure token, that token momentarily goes to the graveyard and will trigger a Surge Injur. Notably, Surge Ginger does not have the restriction on its trigger that it only, you can only trigger it once a turn. That's a pretty common template these days. It does not have that, which when you're, you know, getting they're triggers really space off of on sacrificing treasure tokens yeah, is really, really nice. It
0: they're of space on the card ross that's yeah. it really yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, i do think this card could, can could do some damage it, it fits well into certain aggressive decks you know any sort of you know red aggressive deck that's making treasure tokens you know you could do even you know in pioneer maybe played alongside like fable um i don't know There, there's uh you know being an artifact there's a ton of potential homes for it and uh you know it feels like this one could, you know, really do some damage, especially if there is um, a metagame with a lot of Planeswalkers, because it is very, very good at attacking them.
0: Yeah, also there's, like, a ton of, like like I was mentioning earlier, there's a ton of artifacts in this set, and there's been a few other that have been printed that, like, you already have Gingerbird, right, which pairs well with this card. Uh, cards like Prophetic Prism, there's, like, Candy Trail in this, like, c- cards that are artifacts that do something and then play, and then you can sacrifice them for at least something. Like, Candy Trail is just... It's a one-man artifact that when it enters the battlefield, you scry to, and you pay to sacrifice it, you gain three life and draw a card. You're like, that's not super exciting, but if you're playing this, like, deck where you just need, an, like, some mass of artifacts, right? Like, that's your deck, right? You're, like, a colorless aggro deck, or, like, you're, you know, playing one color or whatever. These cards all work really well together. and start to replace themselves and do a bunch of stuff, and... You know, we've had some cards in the last few years that are still going to be around in standard. You know, uh, I think of uh, the Kamagawa set as all of enchantments and artifacts that work really well together. That seem they might work really well with this set.
1: Yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I I completely agree. I think, you know, you can build out those artifact synergies if you want, um, or you can just rely on it being a great planeswalker attacker. So it can it can fit a lot of different molds and that should help out its playability as well.
0: Uh, speaking of playability. let's talk about the lands real quick oh it's like, right there really that's cool. what? Yeah. <laughs> you read my mind yeah. yeah all right let's just go down the line so uh there's a black white one um by the way all of these entered the battlefield tat. that's just yeah. a thing that's happening so there's the black white one so it, tap- it taps a black and white no pain no nothing um two black white uh or, is it relentless fortress yeah relentless fortress they're all restless, is it restless? okay restless okay sorry i look i'm looking on my computer screen. It's very small. You know. Yeah. Uh, Becomes a one four white black nightmare creature to let a turn, It's still a land. And then whenever it attacks, defending player loses two and you gain two life. They did shambling kinda of dirty. This one's yeah. w- worse at blocking, obviously. But it, a lot it's better. Pretty than close
1: that. to a three four lifelinker, right? Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh you know, a little bit worse, I would say, but not that much worse. <laughs> and you know, the fact that you can get that a damage in even if they block it, you know, you get the two in can sometimes make it better. So yeah, yeah. I, I kinda like this one. And that said, I, th- I think it might be the worst of the five, and I, st- I yeah. think it's still good.
0: Yeah, it's really good at racing. That's All right, so the red and blue one is next. Comes completely Uh Blue and a red. So only two mana to activate this one. That's pretty big. So blue-red. Until the turn, it becomes a 2-1 blue and red elemental creature with, as long as it's your turn, this creature has first strike, and it would attack uh, strike one. So this was pretty interesting because uh, it's very cheap to activate to 2-1 first striker, so it doesn't get through a lot of smaller creatures that are going to be put in its way. And it also gets you a little bit of a deck manipulation, which you kind of what blue-red decks.
1: Yeah. I also really like a creature land that is cheap to activate, so yes. only costing two
0: is a big deal for me. So uh,
1: this is one of my favorite ones. I think I would have it ranked second on the, on, on the list of five.
0: Yeah, the next one is one that I really like myself. This is the black-green one. Is this the one you think is best? I'm trying to think of it. This one I would have third. Third. Okay. This I think this one's pretty good, too. Restless yeah. Cottage. This is the black-green it, one. It might be better than Restless Spire. It's close. So, we'll see. Yeah. Especially with like the decks you're going to put it in, this one costs four to activate, so it's two black green it becomes a four four black and green horror creature until end of turn. It's all in, obviously. But when it attacks, you create a food type uh, token, and then you can exile one target card from a graveyard as well. So uh, a lot of extra stuff going on there. That's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, a lot of extra value. Uh, note that these uh, attack triggers are not conditioned on it being. Uh, activated with its own ability. So if you played Restless College in a deck with, say, Nissa, who shakes the world, and plussed on the cottage, now Ooh. you can just attack with three and get Ooh. those triggers regardless.
0: Ooh, I'm a... I'm fanning myself down over here. That's actually pretty sweet. Uh, we've got the red and white one as well. This one is one red white... This is my favorite uh, one. one. Uh, the bouvouac whack? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it becomes a 2-2 two, two red and white ox creature until long turn. It's still a land. Whenever you attack, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So it doesn't put out itself like... Uh, the red-green one in the, in the past. Yeah. Uh, what was that one? Um, um, Raging Ravine. Rager, I want to say Champlain for some reason. Raging Ravine. Uh, this is pretty cool. I like this one a lot. It's, this thing can... This is one of the ones that's an actual real threat by itself as the game continues on. Yeah. And the fact
1: that you can spread the counters around is great. Uh, or you can just Raging Ravine it. It's relatively cheap to activate at only three. It's it's the second cheapest. But gives you a significant power. I... I actively think this card is better than Raging Ravine, and Raging Ravine was a staple for years.
0: Yeah, it was just really good you know, stuff for Joan yeah. guy out there. Uh, the last one was a Restless Stalk. This is Green-Blue. Uh, this was the most expensive one to activate. It's the blue green one. They're usually really weird. All right, <laughs> three Green-Blue. It's all entire becomes a 5-5 Green-Blue Plant Creature with Trample. That's pretty good. And that's one of the reasons it's a little, little expensive. But then when it attacks, up to one other target creature has base and power... Uh, base power and toughness three three. It's a limit. Here's a cool thing, right? I'm, I'm making sure I read this right. It doesn't say creature you control, right? Correct. Yeah, you can target yeah. their big blocker. You're like, How and triple over. How yeah. So this one I like because it's
1: going to be hard to block for that reason. If you're just trying to race, you know, you can make one of your mana creatures bigger and get in three damage that way, uh, or extra damage that way. So you know, th- this is. I think that. That's what puts it ahead of the—that sort of versatility puts it ahead of the Orzov one for me. Um, it also, I think, plays really well with Blossoming Tortoise. You know, imagine activating that one for 4 mana, and now you've got a 6-6 six, six, you know, uh, with that ability. Same with the, the Golgari one. You know, That should play really well with Blossoming Tortoise. 3 mana to make it into a 5-5, five, five, where you're getting food. You probably have a way to take advantage of that food. Uh, you know, and you, you know, you got a little bit of you know graveyard interaction for your troubles. So the green ones probably get should get a little boost. Um, because if Tortoise is playable, because they'll play really well with it. Um, but overall, I think all five are quite good. You know, yeah, there's, I, a, there's no stirring
0: wildwoods in the bunch. It honestly, like the bar of them is pretty low, right? Like, it is, as long as the format is not insanely fast, and like we're seeing it in standard right now that it's not a quick format there's there's not as many aggro decks and adventures are going to be coming out of the format as well which generally slows things down just a little bit because like yeah. you're looking at a lot of slower decks of card so uh i think these are going to be big time players as standards if if we had like a top eight you know that we don't really do for the show just the lands would be some of my like probably like one two or three for me just overall because i think they're going to impact quite a lot quite a, a lot
1: yeah i mean I the agree. they're they're very tap, good
0: they tap for two colors as well which is nice so <clears throat> um I need a few more cards in before I got to go to that. Was there anything else that kind of like there, pictures that you want to talk about on this one? There's two more that I really like. Sure. Uh, we'll ahead. see if, if I overlap with you at all. The first is a Decadent Dragon.
1: This is one of the advent, uh, adventure creatures. It's two red oh, red yeah, for 4-4. Korea. Flying yeah. trample. Whenever it attacks, you get a treasure token. A little like Goldspan Dragon there. Uh, but the adventure side of it, expensive taste, two and a black instant. Exile the top two cards of target opponent's library face down. You may look at and play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. So you get this sort of fancy, uh, you know, draw two, um, and then the treasure that you get from Deccan and dragon should help you cast them if your opponent's playing different colors than you. And this is another adventure that curves really well. You know, you get the expensive taste on three, then you play the dragon on four. You might be a little behind from playing a spell on turn three that doesn't affect the battlefield. The treasures and the extra cards you know, from the expensive taste, should help you catch back up. So, very self-contained card, a very powerful card. I'm happy to play either half of it. I'm really happy to play both halves of it, uh, and it should be pretty easy to realize all of that potential.
0: This is one of my favorite cards in the set, and honestly, I think this is going to be... If there's a deck that can reliably cast both ends, I think this is going to be one of the most influential cards in standard if the format allows this card to be good. Um, we've seen at almost every set for the last few years, a four mana four, four flying dragon of some kind, right? And some of them have been, they've always all been good, but they've, they haven't had too much impact because there's been like other things to do and stuff in adding the adventure side of this, which is pseudo card advantage. I absolutely love this. Also, it does say play again. Let's be, let's be sure that we may say, it doesn't say cast it says play. So you can play the lands from this and then use those lands just, to cast spells awesome. with it. Yes, this is awesome because that is the other thing. Is this doesn't have the this doesn't have the trigger where like you can spin any mana, right? Like yeah. you have to be em all the, but you're in red and black. It's pretty easy to make treasures in 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 this uh, in that color combination, of some kind. So like you're probably playing Fable if it's if it's still legal. Let's, let's put it that way. But still, legal, you're probably playing Fable and a few of the other things. And like I see that as like if that's a thing that happens, this is probably going to be. Uh, a very good card and what is like the mid-range deck of the format or one of the mid-range decks of the format, because I absolutely adore this card; I think it's great.
1: Yep. And then uh, my favorite card in the set, not necessarily my pick for best, but my favorite card, Mosswood dread Knight, uh, another adventure creature. It's one of a green for a three, two human knight. has trample. And when it dies, you may cast it from your graveyard as an adventure until the end of your next turn. And the adventure side dread whispers, one in a black sorcery, you draw a card and lose a life. So when this dies, next turn you can cast it as the adventure, then it's exiled again on the adventure, you cast it as a creature again, and when it dies, you get to cast it as an adventure, then recast it as a creature, and it keeps coming back. So uh, a really nice recursive threat way. that generates a lot of card advantage. I, I assume there's some fairy tale It's the Green reference. Knight. Is it the Green Knight? It's the Green Knight, like you can't kill it. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in Middle yes. English in college and i've remembered none of it
0: yeah i remember none of it as well but i just remember that like he's like oh you know i'll give you one free stroke or whatever and then like you know if whatever and he like did beheads the eye and it like doesn't kill him or whatever, right like he could he like not I, I can't remember the exact word, but like this is the green knight and like yeah uh i love this card i think it's amazing like you said you can kind of keep yeah, I, looping it over and over again um, i do think so it's among it,
1: the better cards in the set i i mean you know, i'm not prepared to say yeah. it's definitely the best one but it's a it's a really good card
0: yeah, I think it's I think it's gonna show up a lot. Uh this is bring the candio like th- this is the kind of card that makes him sweat when he reads <laughs> it. He's just like, oh boy. He gets a little excited. He's gonna make some noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um I do think this card is very, very good. I think it's great. Um we'll see what the format looks like, because like obviously three, two trampler for two, great, right? Like even if you're trading and getting a damage through, that's amazing. Um, we'll have to see what kind of like exile removal is in the format, because the format is defined by like exile shock or exile like three damage spell etc because there's a few of those you, you may have to have those cards be relevant yeah, because of this it, card
1: it might not be you know it might be that yeah that this card forces those cards into the into the format which would be
0: really and interesting because yeah, i think i think the new I, I gotta check the new version of the three damage like you may you know loot a card your hand or whatever doesn't that one exile i think there's a new version of that might so i'm not 100 i'm not sure yeah um, I'm sure we're going to go through more of it on the next episode, but I like a lot of the adventure creatures in like the blue red area. Um, especially, uh, let me find the let me find this one. quick, just make sure elusive otter is one that kind of just catches my eye because because of reasons. And uh, you <laughs> probably like this one as well, Ross. It's one blue for an otter. By the way, we're going to get some. Ot- I, uh, someone made a good point. Uh, there's a couple otter cards in this set. I wonder if we're going to start getting otter tribal stuff because we have Redwall coming later, and otters are going to be in that as well. I have to believe, but. Anyway, it's one blue for a 1 1 with prowess. And the creatures with power less than this creature's power can't block it. So it's got the kind of like one blue, 1 1 unblockable kind of feel going on, though you have to, it's power less than it. So like, whatever. Anyway, but the other end is Grow's Bounty. It's X and a green. It's a sorcery. It says distribute X plus absolute counters among any number of target creatures you control. Um, this is one of those ones where like, if this kind of deck, exists one of your best starts is going to be playing this on turn one and then following it up with stuff after that like interacting with your opponent killing their first two or three creatures, or getting in two to three uh, damage every year it's kind of like semi delver for it yeah and then later in the game if your opponent ever is like okay well like here's another blocker go and you get like two or three creatures out there's going to be a turn where just, like play my land distribute six plus those look on my creatures attack you and like they're going to be like, okay, well, I can't deal with this. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, And then you're still going to have the 1-1 sitting around in case you get Wrath the next turn, which is a a big plus for this card.
1: Yeah, Prowess decks are not known for having, you know, expensive, high-impact cards. By their nature, they have to play a bunch of cheap spells so that you can take advantage of Prowess. Um, So this, you know, uh, Grove's Bounty coming along for free, essentially, and giving you an aspect in those style of decks that you normally don't have is really, really powerful. It sort of fills a gap. And keep in mind, if you're going off, you know, you've played a bunch of, of prowess creatures and you just want to play a bunch of one-minute spells, you can cast grows Bounty for X equals zero and just do it to get a bunch of prowess trickers, you know, if that's what you need to because you you have other spells you want to cast as well. So uh, I see that actually happening a surprising amount, or, or at least that's, you know, that would be my prediction for it. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're going to see people try to play this card, you know, even as a one-toughness creature in modern which is so hard these days with our Orcish Bowmasters and Renan 6 you know, being a tw- being the third one-mana prowess creature in the modern prowess, you know, now that you have Preordain as well, um, you know, could juice that deck even more. You know, it started to reappear a little with the Preordain being unbanned, and Elusive Otter should help it out even more. And it's pretty easy to just play, like, one stomping ground in your deck, right, to fetch four and then be able to cast groves Bounty consistently. So, and then, you know, yeah, as a in pioneer and standard, you know, you know, it's just a powerful prowess creature. If decks like that exist, so uh yeah, I like this one too.
0: Did you want to keep going with a few more? I feel like we could just keep doing this all day, but like, I got uh, like one. I got one off. more. Sure, got one me.
1: more for you. Yeah. Uh, and this is uh Godric, Cloaked Reveler. So one red, red for a three-three legendary creature, human noble, has haste. Uh, and has one of the new mechanics, Celebration. It's a good thing we got, you know, to one card with this mechanic. Says, as long as two or more per- non-land permanents entered the battlefield under your control this turn, Godric Cloaked Reveler is a dragon with base power and toughness 4-4. Flying and red dragons you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. It loses all other creature types. So, you know, if when you're playing it on turn three, it can just be, a, you know, 3-3 three, three Haster for three, which is generally solid for red aggressive decks. But if you can make celebration happen, you know, if you're a token deck, if you're just double spelling, you know, this can be a really, really powerful dragon, and it gives you a mana sink as well. The thing that I really like about it is it also curves perfectly with Kumano faces Kakazan.
0: I was going to say that. It blew <laughs> my mind. I was yeah. like I the fact that this makes, like, red decks a little bit more playable in yeah. this because the three slot, the four slot have been kind of, like, lacking. And this one curves so
1: well. turn one Kumano, turn two, you know, you play a Bloodthirsty Adversary, it's a 3-3 because of the Kumano trigger, you attack for three, the next turn you get your 2-2, you play this as a 4-4, you attack for nine, and then the next turn, as long as you can just play two creatures, you know, it's a 4-4 again.
0: And don't forget that the other side of Kumano faces Althegon, says that uh, creatures, uh, I think it's, is it just your opponent's creatures get exiled when they die? and that's something that could be relevant you know we see a lot of stuff in this that does things from the graveyard you know we talked about the green knight and stuff like that so i'm i'm excited by this kind of card i need to go through red in the set to see if there's a few more really good things because i, I really wish there was a, a one other good burn spell other than lightning trade because i i feel like formats are really a lot better when there's a good aggro ac- deck in them like if good ac- decks, yeah. you have a decent controlled i, I want the full swath you know what I mean? I want the full amount of meta. Yeah. Anytime
1: there's one aspect of the metagame that everybody can kind of safely ignore, your decks get yeah. way more degenerate. You know, everybody yeah, like starts gearing up start, for those mid-range yeah,
0: slog fests. There's cannibalizing.
1: Yeah, yeah you're, you know, you start main decking weird cards that you could never get away with if somebody was just punching so, you in the mouth.
0: One record I did want to say something about that I the that, that, that before, because we, we can just keep doing this. This set, I think, is yeah. extremely deep, and there's more stuff we're going to talk about. on The next one, this is one that I think is going to get played a decent bit if, it just becomes a mid-range fest depending on the format. And like I can maybe see this main depending on the format it looks. I definitely see a cyber card. Have you seen Signal of the Lost Lore? The one in green green three-four. Um okay, so it's one green green, three, four. Um, okay, so one green, green one. for a three-four. It's an elf knight. Uh when it enters the battlefield, you choose one or more that has three abilities. Okay. If you ever choose all three of these, it's gonna be pretty damn good. Uh so it's return target card you own in exile that has an adventure to your hand. So some pretty good card advantage there, right? Like, if your adventure or something remotely decent, you're like, okay, bring that back, adventure it again, and then play the, the spell or whatever. That's pretty cool, right? If it's like one of the removal spell adventures or whatever, any kind of card event, you're, you're you're already ahead here for a three, four, for three. The second one, and this is the one that I really like. When you get, if you get both of these, it's it's a blowout. Yeah, uh, put target card you don't own in exile that has an adventure on the bottom of your opponent's ladder. So your opponent's like, exile this thing on turn two. Uh, like you know, the knight. Like they're like, oh, exile my black knight, or exile the dragon for like you know two of the black rare ball. And you're like, okay, put that thing in the bottom of your library. It's like uh, what was this? What was the creature that did this? Elvish Rift, rift Keeper? It was Rift, rift sweeper? sweeper. Yeah, it was just called Rift Sweeper. Yeah, it's like, it's like the Rift Sweeper. That card got played in Constructed because yeah. of how often it would just like get something broken from your opponent. It would effectively it a just like, draw player. card. Also, this is absurd and limited, by the way. Like absurd, yeah. And it's going to be like a three for one, a lot. And then it actually is the, a third one, which is Exile Target Player's Graveyard. So if you play this in a deck where often enough you're going to be getting one of your own adventures back, and then if the format is like relevant enough that exiling your, your opponent's graveyard is good enough, this is an okay enough three drop. It's a three-four, right? It's going to survive a lot of the red removal spells. This seems pretty damn good against the other red decks because you're like, all right, get my... Adventure back that's probably your removal spell because green black is getting pushed and green blood, ra- black red are getting pushed to play to the If you're like, you know, minus three, minus three, thing gain two life, play this, get that card back, maybe get one of your earth back or exile your graveyard. If there's anything in there that you know has relevance as well. Is so, this is a card that I'm actually pretty excited. I think this is going to be a pretty sweet sidebar card. I do think that the, the chances of it getting played get lower and a little bit less with the new way that standard rotates every like three years now because it's a wider format and you have more things going on if it was more yeah. condensed and we were more towards like hey we're playing adventures and stuff in this like it's gonna happen because like there's a ton of really good adventure cards in the set that i'm super excited about like there's the the other green creature that's the new uh uh miracle druid they can be miracle grow or whatever yep there's, yeah like, the, yeah that. there's a like, yeah there's questing druid or whatever in the set that's like really cool and does a bunch of stuff but like a lot of the green and black adventures. Uh, or green black red and like so i think there's going to just be a jund adventure stack in standard or possibly awesome
1: yeah I, I can see that i like you know having a way to interact with adventure cards so i think that this is a cool thing that we didn't really have in uh the original eldraine um i think the way it was designed is really smart so that you know this is a card that you can, you can always play if you have adventure cards, and then you get the disruption on your opponent's adventure cards coming along for free. If you happen to not draw your adventure cards and it's early, you still can get some value with the Exile of the Graveyard. Uh, and, you know, it, it gives this card that's, you know, could be a, just a mopey, you know, three mana, three, four, some really high potential when you're choosing all three modes, or really just the first two. That's when it gets really powerful. So I think this is a really cool addition to the set, a very welcome addition to the set, and one that will, you know help maybe tamper really linear adventure decks that we saw a lot of in the old El formats.
0: Yeah. And there's one more card I just wanted to throw into because of uh, the little thing before you there's another land that I think can get played in decks like this. It's a little bit of the slow end, but I can see Jund. Like if Jund is a deck or like an adventure deck is a mid-range deck. I can see them playing a couple of these. Have you seen Edgewall in?
1: Edgewall so, In.
0: It's a it's it's an it's a land and it is best will tapped. Uh you choose a color when it comes to play that it adds one of that chosen color so it's that it's in that vein right where yeah. like you know you, yeah you choose one but it has an ability of three tap sacrifice edge away return target card with an adventure from your graveyard to your hand so it's a little bit of mana fixing if you're playing judge your deck's gonna be a little like the midrange you slower in you know this on turn one two or three like any that you can kind of it's pretty easy when you're an adventure deck to find a turn where you don't need to spend all of your mana right like, especially, like, if you're on the play versus certain decks on, like, turn three, like, they have a creature, you your like Use my two mana removal spell or my two mana removal spells from Adventure or something along those lines, and then you're, like, play my edge wall in, you know, fix my mana maybe a little bit because we're probably going to have a lot of doubles and stuff like that. And then, you know, seven turns down the line where you have, like, eight or nine man- man- uh, lands of play, you're running really low on resources, you're, like, return that dragon from my graveyard to my head. Now I'm going to get two cards off the top of your deck and make a four. Yeah, I, I like it.
1: I think this is another card that should be really good in limited as well. Like, this might be yes, the card I, I most want to open in my sealed yes. pool.
0: <laughs> this is going to be... I actually think this card is going to just be a very high pick. Yeah. As wild as it is. I think that the... Like, the first week... And when I say week, Arena makes this happen very quickly. Now, maybe the first three days, you're going to see this card later in packs. And then... Like, I don't know if you ever notice this, because I draft a lot when I draft. and like, as formats progress... You start to see certain commons and uncommons. You're like, I never see that in a pack anymore. What happened? Yeah, yeah people wise not. You don't get this pick seven anymore. If you're not getting to get the first two, like two or three picks, you're not getting it. Unless you're lucky in pack three with like a colored card. Yeah. You know? But I do not see this card. I mean, I do not see this card getting passed like ninth too often in the format. I think it's going to be very, very good because it allows you to splash a little bit. Because like, that's another thing that's really good about this at limited is let's say you're like a green black deck. But you have like some of the adventure cards that have red involved. You can just play them in your deck now. Like you can just have that, uh, that extra piece because now like you can adventure them and then wait till you draw your mana, or you can just play the other end of the card and you can cast because you need to on curb. Seems awesome. Love this card. Yeah, that that's. I think definitely it's gonna be cool. one of the. Yeah, I think it's one of the like. It isn't uncommon, which I think is really nice uh, for limited because I don't like deck stat two or three of these and you just like can literally ever beat them in a long game. But I'm going to be, I, I'm out of certain packs for us. I can see myself first picking this card. I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking yet. Yeah, I'm no, like looking uh, for the set. I, I could see it too.
1: To me, it feels a lot like the tri lands in like Alara. <laughs> you know, those lands were first picks. And they just smooth out your mana so much because you're all you're you were playing a lot of you know three four five color decks even in that format. This is a, going to be a limited format where adventure matters a lot, and the, because a lot of the adventure cards have different colors on each half of them now, mana, like, that mana fixing aspect for the splash is also going to be important. So you know a card that does both and then late in the game gets cashed in for you know, two cards effectively, you're returning an adventure card, you could probably play both halves. If the game's long enough, you have developed your mana enough. So, you know, that's a very, very powerful effect and one that is going to play well in basically every single deck.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now we could just keep going, but let's save this for another episode where we go over like a lot of the rares and cards we didn't talk about. Yeah. And uh we'll try to get that out as soon as possible for everybody. But thanks for listening this week. Uh Wild of Eldred is one of the most exciting sets I've seen in a while at Ross. I'm actually like really looking forward to play this. And I'm glad it's coming out now because we're gonna be playing more standard next year, and I'm gonna be getting involved with standard, so I'm looking forward to it because uh I, I kinda wanna play all the cards in this set.
1: Yeah, I'm all, I'm kind of excited to play some standard. I think I've been a little bit bored recently. Or, you know, it's gotten a little stale playing nothing but Pioneer Modern. I think having a third format to to shake it up will be really helpful.
0: I'll tell you this right now: if if the format is decent and I like it, we're uh, we're going to do a team of it. If they if they do the traditional like standard yeah. modern, standard modern uh, Pioneer. Pioneer, yeah, because uh, I don't want to play Legacy right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll we'll see that. Well. Uh, all right, Ross. Thanks for uh, coming back to America and doing a show with us. We'll try to get another one episode out really quick because I know we were rough the last couple weeks uh, yeah, for everybody. I, I wasn't in the country. Yeah, <laughs> I had an episode planned with uh, Jim Davis. Like, I was going to do like an interview episode with him to kind of like fill in, and I could just like never. We could never get together because like I'm on a different schedule than he is, and he is unbelievably busy. You know, oh, yeah. with like a child and an infant. So, yeah, like, two, ch- kids. two child, two childs he has like 2.5 as well because the car and the uh yeah the, uh, the puppy and then the the dude never stops work he's just a, he's just a machine so and he was like he was like yeah yeah like i'll do it like it's great and then he's like let's let's figure out when he's like he's like i have these two hours open this week i'm <laughs> like i just can't make you know like he was like he was like wild There's literally the only time i was like i cannot be away from you know i had like a very important meeting or something so yeah but we'll try to get some more stuff out for y'all as soon as possible um really looking forward to the next episode thanks for listening